Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 13, we'll pick it up in verse 13, as Pastor Kevin just read, and, and we'll roll through verse 25. Uh, years ago, as, as a student minister, I, I, I took uh, a group of, <clears throat> of students to a, a conference in Houston, and there was a guy by the name of Erwin McManus, who was the keynote speaker. Uh, and and he, he had just written a book, recently written a book called Seizing Your Divine Moment. I think, it, I think it goes by a different name these days. But he had just written Seizing Your Divine Moment. And, and, and apparently, uh, the conference, uh, and I don't remember who was leading the worship. I just I, I remember McManus was speaking. Apparently, the conference was just like a one giant like promotional tour for his book, because when he finally like got up to speak in front of the students and everything was all hyped up, he talked for like twenty minutes, maybe twenty two minutes, and all he did was was talk about his book, and and his premise, the premise of the book was, and still is, that today Christians need to be like Saul's son, Jonathan. They need to be like Saul's son, Jonathan, in 1 Samuel 14, where he charged the hill, he charged the hill, uh, and he seized the day by attacking the Philistine armies, securing victory for the nation of Israel. And so, be like Jonathan. Some of, some of the, the chapters were take initiative, steward your influence, embrace risk, create impact, awaken your potential. So the book was like, like it was, you can do it, right? Be, be like Jonathan. What, what, the book, what the book didn't tell you is that uh, you don't want to be like 1 Samuel 31, Jonathan, <laughs> 1 Samuel 31, Jonathan uh, charged into battle uh, against the Philistines and was slaughtered, <clears throat> along with Saul, his father. That book would not read right, uh, like it would not read as well. Amen? Like, go with me. Like, seize your moment. He's dead. He's gone. Um, <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite uh, memes is, is one from... Uh, uh, Pastor Matt Chandler uh, preached a sermon years ago, and there's a meme that still floats around on the interwebs today, uh, but the meme is just uh, Chandler, and, and it just says, you're not David. <laughs> Have y'all seen this? Like, you, you are not David, uh, meaning, meaning, yes, God raised up different men and women in the Old Testament at different times for his purposes, but they are not the point. Amen? 
They are not the point. Because one chapter of Scripture may have them defeating the giant, uh, but another has them play, another chapter has them playing the part of the adulterer and murderer. And the, their ultimate role is to point you to something else. Their ultimate role is to point you to someone else. But so, so often, like we just miss the point. And you can spend your life majoring on all the minors and, and dancing all around the truth and never getting to the point of truth. You can miss the main thing. And so this morning... Uh, Christian, seeker, seeker of truth. God, here's what I want to say. God is working all around you. God is moving all around you, just like he was in Acts chapter 13. And Paul, Paul got up and he cut, he cut through all the noise and he got straight to Jesus. You just got straight to Jesus. And the question, the question is, will, will, will you? Will you? So first point I want to make this morning as we look at verse 13. Uh, first point is this. Trials, the trials are meant to point you to Jesus. Amen? The trials are meant to point you to Jesus. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say Trials. See, it's not even like a long phrase or sentence, just one word. Look at the other neighbor, say trials. Like if we got out of sync, I'd be worried. But it's just one word, trials. And it really stems from this. In verse 13, there's just one little phrase, and it just says this, and John left them. Pastor Matt preached last Sunday. If you, didn't, if you, did, if you missed his message, you need to go back and listen. But he talked about as the first missionary journey got underway in Cyprus, he talked about the events of verses 4 through 12. But you get to verse 13, and John left them. And so the million dollar question is why? Why? Why did John Mark? Uh, leave. And there, there's all sorts of speculation. R.C. Sproul talks about the leadership change that had taken place. See, in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 13, it was Barnabas and Saul set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work. That was verse 2. And it was in, it was in that order. <clears throat> Yet, after their encounter with Sergius Paulus, after their encounter with Elymas, we see in verse 13, it's now Paul and his companions. Like Barnabas is like, he doesn't even get like a name plug. Like he's just a companion. He's just a companion at this point. Paul and his companions. And so the language of the text, what it's revealing is that the Apostle Paul had emerged as the clear leader after the events in Cyprus in verses 4 through 12. And some speculate perhaps that, that John Mark. Because again, this was, this was Barnabas's, this was his nephew. So some speculate that John, uh, John Mark, maybe he wasn't a big fan of the leadership change. 
the new dynamic. Maybe, maybe he wasn't a big fan of Paul being the head honcho. And so, so that could be it. Others point to the arduous journey uh, that lay ahead because we, we, don't, we don't really understand. But from Pamphylia, which was about 400 miles uh, from Jerusalem, from Pamphylia to Antioch of Pisidia was about 100 miles, but it would have taken them not only through the Taurus mountain range, through this pretty treacherous terrain in terms of uh, just, just the, the landscape, but also it was a path that was known for bandits. It was a path that was known for the violence of those that, that, that was perpetrated on those that traveled it. And so some believe that John Mark bailed out before the travels got too difficult. Still others, they look back at the events in Cyprus and they say, well, uh, after the opposition from Elymas, Maybe, maybe John was beginning to count the cost of opposition, uh, the opposition that they would face on the mission trip. What, here's what we do know. We do know that when we get to the end of Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have a sharp, vehement disagreement over whether or not John Mark should attend the second missionary journey. But the context of the t- the, the, our text suggests that Mark abandoned them when things got hard. Or, or, or perhaps he, he bailed out when things didn't go the way that he wanted them to go or maybe expected them to go. Church, here's the deal. John Mark didn't understand that trials are a part of the journey. Amen? And trials are they're part of the journey. They're, they're part of the mission. And, and the trials, they were meant to point him back to Jesus. They were meant to point him back to dependence on Christ. And, and, and I think John Mark got what we, we like to call mission trip fatigue. Yeah, if y'all, like, I don't know if you heard of that. Mission trip fatigue. Um, when, when we first started taking groups to Guatemala, about three or four, I guess about four years ago, I, I led that first trip to Guatemala, um, and, uh, and no, no, one, no one perished. We all made it back. Uh, I did hand off the leadership of the trip to Matt after that. Um, but we went to Guatemala, and we partnered up with our friends Mike and Terry McComb. And so uh, we're doing gospel ministry in Neba and in the surrounding villages around Neba in the mountains of Guatemala. We would work with children doing VBSs. We got a lot of opportunities to, uh, for one-on-one gospel conversations to share Jesus with folks. We got to do some work projects where, where we, we helped build a church. We got to pour concrete for the Mountain Springs camp, this Christian camp that they were, the, the, the McCombs were building, a retreat center. And, and the first couple of days are typically travel. And so you roll, how, how many of you have been on a short-term mission trip? Just by a show of hands. Awesome. Uh, so, so you, you, you know, those first couple of days are, are, are travel, and there's like an excitement, even though you're tired. Uh, and and by, by, by day three, you kind of get into the work, and everybody's excited. But, but by about the midpoint of, of the trip, you, you, you can see for some this, this mission trip fatigue set in. And, and, and people have a tendency, if you're not careful, you can start losing focus. Uh, I'll never forget four years ago, one of our college guys, and in retrospect, I'm not really sure where this brother was with his faith, uh, but one of, our, one of our college guys, he got way more into capturing footage for his vlog 
<laughs> than, than like sharing Jesus with Guatemalans and serving them. And so like we're, we're like trying to have worship services and say, hey, where, where's, where's this dude? And he's like over there with the mountain backdrop, you know, hey, guys, I'm here in beautiful Guatemala. Uh, hey, bro, like we're about to share Jesus over here. You want to you want to join us? <laughs> mission trip fatigue. And listen, modern day mission trips should be far more. Hear me far more than glorified sightseeing and humanitarian aid excursions. Church, the battle is for the souls of people. Amen? The battle is for the souls of people. So make no mistake, this first gospel-centered missionary journey was, was filled with trials. It was filled with, with setbacks and, and opposition. No doubt. I, I think about, listen, the, every year, restoration, we have a unique vision for the year. And, and, and really, the vision for 2021 is forged to follow Christ. And, and if you know what a forge is, a forge, it, it, it burns and it shapes. And so the idea is this. We don't, we don't put our heads down and ignore the trials. Amen? We don't put our heads down and ignore the trials. And you don't just put on like your happy Christian face and fake your way through it either. Pastor Matt talked about this. Like we, we expect those trials they're, they're going to come. And, and in fact, we, we, we see this. If I can find where I wrote down the verses, we, we see this in James 1, 2 through 3, where James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Then Peter would say this in 1 Peter 4, 12-13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and check this out and be glad, be glad when His glory is revealed Christian rejoice because listen you're going through it but but God God is still moving and and, and here here's the application that I, I think all of us need to to grasp a hold of some of you are about to bail out on the mission trip Y'all hear me? Some of, some of you, like you're hanging on by a thread and, and you're thinking about hitting the eject button and bailing out on the mission trip. Listen, Christian, I know it's hard. Like I, I know, I know it's hard. I know, I know there's, there's been conflict. Like I, I know, I know at times you feel like you've been chewed up and maybe, maybe the mission hasn't met your expectation. But do you know that, listen, all of it, all of it is meant to point you to Jesus. Amen? Unfortunately, listen, there's a redemptive arc to the story of John Mark. We're going to see that. We're going to see that later in the Scriptures. But at least here in Acts 13, this brother lost his focus and perhaps for just a minute lost his faith. 
And if that's you, cry out to God. Listen, not, not just per, for perspective. Not just, don't just cry out for perspective because in the trials, listen, there's some things that only God is, may see and understand with what you, you're walking through. There's some things that only God may see and understand this side of eternity. So don't just cry out for perspective. Cry out for perseverance. Cry out for perseverance that you would stay the course. Knowing that the trials are forging in you the character of Christ. They, they, they may burn, but they are searing gospel-centered purpose in your heart and in your life. And the trials, listen, the trials and the suffering are meant to point you to the Savior. They're meant to point you to the suffering servant, Jesus. So listen, don't make it about you. Make it about Him. Don't make it about you. Make it about Jesus. Second, second point this morning as we look at verses 15 through 23. The, the Old Testament points to Jesus. Amen? The Old Testament points to Jesus. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Old Testament. Sweet. Look at your other neighbor and say, Old Testament. So let me, let me drop a little context in here. So... so Antioch of, of Pisidia is, is modern day, it's modern day Turkey. And, and Howard Marshall says this, it was a Roman colony, it was the leading city in, in the area known as Phrygia Galatia. So, so is, later we'll see as Paul writes to the churches in the, in the area known as Galatia, th this is where he was in those travels. And, and so as was his custom, and listen, Antioch of Pisidia had a, a sizable Jewish population. Even as, you know, uh, 400 plus miles away from Jerusalem still had, Josephus says that there were 2,000 Jewish families that, that were residing there. And so as was his custom, Paul started at the local synagogue. And Thomas Constable says this, normally the synagogue service began with the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, with, with hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then they would move into some liturgy. They would do, there was like a liturgical portion of the service where they would do benedictions and blessings and prayers. And then the leaders of the synagogue would, would read two, uh, they would read two related passages from the Old Testament, one from the law, one from the prophets. And then the leaders of the synagogue, they would call on a teacher or a learned person to give an address. And so that day, they, they called on Paul. They said, Brother, Brother Paul, why, why, don't you, why don't you give up and get up and give us a word? These cats had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They said, Paul, why, why don't you stand up and give a word? I've shared this before, but when we first moved to Bryan, I, 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 I made it a point to connect with other churches and connect with uh, with other with other pastors and and over the course of a year about about a year or so into it on one particular occasion I was I was visiting my my friend pastor Mark Taplett's church new new covenant ministries and as the is the service was winding down after about three hours uh 
toward the end, they, they, they said something like this. This morning, we want to recognize our, our guests. We want to recognize our guests. Now, now first of all, like I, I was the only guest up, up, up in the joint. Um, second of all, I was the only light-skinned uh, brother or sister in the joint, too. Uh, but they said, we want to recognize our guests. They had me stand up. Uh, and, and, and they said, Bro, Brother Jonathan, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us a word this morning? <laughs> and, and so I don't know if they did that to all their guests. I know, I know Pastor Taplett knew I was a minister. Like, um, I think it'd be interesting to implement this at Restoration. <laughs> Not this morning. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what I said or stumbled my way through Needless to say, it wasn't near as insightful or powerful as Paul's sermon in Acts 13. But they said, Paul, get up and give us a word. And we don't, we don't know why, but it's possible that he got that opportunity because of his pedigree. Years before, he had been discipled and brought up under the famous Pharisee Gamaliel. But whatever the case was, Paul wasn't about to pass up an opportunity to share the gospel. Amen? And not only that, Paul, Paul understood his audience. Paul understood his audience. He, he, he knew that for the most part at the synagogue, there were Jews, there were Jewish proselytes, there, there were proselytes, and there were, uh, not a technical term, but we've talked about this, there were God-fears, there were, there were Gentiles, there were Gentiles who would have been drawn to the religious practices and the ethics of Judaism. And for the most part, Paul's audience, they, they, they would have been familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures. And so church fam, here we have the first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul. His first recorded sermon. Very similar to Peter's sermon in Acts 2 at Pentecost. Very, very similar to Stephen's uh, bold message in Acts 7, uh, right before he was martyred for his faith. And Paul specifically quotes, if you want to jot this down, from 1 Samuel 13, 14. And he also quotes directly from Psalm 89, but his, his sermon quickly and succinctly walks his audience through the redemptive history of Israel. From, from Israel's exodus out of Egypt to, to going before Israel to conquer the nations and the kings and the kingdoms in the land of Canaan all the way up to the time of the judges uh, to, to the time of the, Sam, uh, the prophet Samuel. And from there, Paul reminds the people of, of Saul, of God they, they demanded a king, and ultimate, so God gave them Saul, who was then removed by God. And then though David, David was a man after God's heart, even David would fall woefully short as an adulterer and as a murderer. And so you, at this point, you're saying, okay, so like, what's the point of the sermon? What's the point? Get to the point. Notice, notice something. Look at the text. Tony Marita says this, God is the subject of nearly every verb that Paul that, that Luke uses, or, or Paul uses. Luke's 
author, Paul's right, this story of Paul speaking. Notice the initiating work of God. God chose our fathers. Look at the text. God made the people. He led them. And I think in verse 18, he, he put up with them. He gave them land. He gave them judges. God gave them. He removed. He raised up. God is the subject. And Derek Thomas says this, God had been at work from the very beginning through hundreds of years bringing about a a climax of His purposes in the advent of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul was saying to them in effect that Jesus was the climax of biblical history. Amen, church? Jesus was the climax of biblical history. But the Jews, they missed it. They missed it. They missed their Messiah. They they sat around all day devoting themselves to to the Scriptures of the Old Testament and they failed to recognize the purpose of the Old Testament. It wasn't to make heroes out of these flawed men and women. It was to point to the the real hero, Jesus. It's to point ahead to Christ. To the One who would redeem a people who were broken and who We're sinful. And and here's the application. Listen. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you did. Maybe you grew up. Maybe you grew up in the Presbyterian church or the Bible church or the Methodist church or the Catholic church. Maybe, like me, you grew up in the little Baptist church and you would would hear the stories. And you would hear the stories. But but what, what what I wasn't taught was how to connect the dots. What's the point of the story? So listen, here's, here, here's the application. If you're reading about Adam and Eve, it's a reminder that we all tend to think that God's holding out on us. And it's a reminder that, that at different times we doubt the Word of God. And we all fall short of the image of God. And if you're, if you're reading about Cain, it's a, it's a reminder that, that, listen, murder lies dormant in all of our hearts. And we need the love of Jesus to break the bondage of anger. Amen? And if you're, if you're reading about Abraham or Judah or, or David, it's a reminder that even great leaders fail. That's why we long for a perfect leader. I don't want a good leader. I want a perfect leader. And if you're reading through Leviticus and you like, you're at the halfway point and you're tempted to skip to numbers because there's just so much animal carnage, right? <laughs> you're like, let's, let's, let's roll to the next one. It's a reminder that if you're, if you're an Israelite and all you see is spilled blood, it is a reminder, would have been a visible reminder of the penalty of sin. And so when Christ's blood was spilled and He said it's finished, it was. It was. And when you're reading about prophet 
after prophet after prophet calling Israel to repent of their idolatry, to repent of their sexual immorality, to repent of murdering and aborting their children, to repent of their injustice toward the fatherless, toward the widow, toward the poor, toward the alien. Listen, it is a reminder. Only King Jesus... Only King Jesus can change the hearts of individuals and change the heart of of a nation to live righteously and justly. Only King Jesus does that. And the Jews, they didn't understand their own scriptures. And anyone reading the Bible today, unless you come to understand that Jesus is Messiah and Savior, you have failed to understand the Scriptures. The Old Testament points to Jesus. Points to Jesus. Third thing this morning is this, as we look at verse 24 and 25. John's baptism pointed to to Jesus. John's baptism pointed to Jesus. Look at, look at your neighbor and say, John's baptism. Look at your other neighbor and say, John's baptism. See, John's baptism was, the, 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 the text tells us in verse 24, it was a baptism of repentance. See, John was really the, the last in a line of, of Old Testament prophets. His, his baptism would have give, given people a, 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 this visible reminder of the need for washing, the washing away of sins. But keep in mind, check this out, this, this was before, Je- John was doing this before Jesus came on the scene. This was before people looked at Jesus and looked at His righteousness and His perfection and the fact that He was guiltless and sinless. It was before they saw Jesus crucified on the cross. It was before they they saw His resurrection. It was before all that. But know this, John's baptism was still pointing ahead to Jesus. See, John was the forerunner who was paving the way. And however, there were those even around John who who missed it. Even, listen, no doubt, even after he was beheaded, John, John had a loyal following. But it appears that many of his followers, they, they hadn't paid heed to his words. They hadn't paid heed to his attention to his words in John 3.30 where he said, Jesus, He must increase, and I must decrease. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. And we're going to see later in Acts 19 that this this faithful following of John is they're still doing their thing. They're still baptizing. They're still serving, oblivious of the finished work of Jesus. But in John's baptism, there was still... Only this reminder of sin. People, people looked on as John baptized and all they would have known was, was the symbolism of water as an instrument of cleansing. Symbolic of washing away the people's iniquities and sins. But, but the question was how? Like how? How are our sins going to be forgiven? Or what's more like how are we going to find victory over sin and death? How are we going to break this bondage? of How, how are we going to escape the penalty and the power 
of sin. How is that going to be broken? See, today, today we'll, we'll baptize eight or nine after our 11-11 service. And today, we, we look back on the work of Christ. Amen? And so when we see baptism, we, we see something much different. We don't just see water and cleansing. Man, we see Jesus' death. Christ crucified. Buried with Christ in baptism. As we, as we see baptism now, we, we see resurrection and we see new life raised to walk in newness of life. So, so today, as, as we baptize Gabby and as we baptize Yelda and Daryl and Hannah and others, man, we're going to be getting a picture of Jesus, amen? We're getting a picture of Jesus. And it's not, it's not just empty symbolism, it, 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 it's pointing us to real power. The same power that resurrected Christ now resides in you, Christian. Giving you a new identity in Christ. Helping you overcome sin. Helping you love God. Helping you actually not just talk about it, but actually love your neighbor. And live for the glory of Christ. Baptism was pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. I'll close, I'll close with this this morning. <laughs> when, when, Steph, when Steph and I were, were engaged and walking through engagement <laughs> 17 years ago, we, we, got, we got sucked into this ridiculous new show that apparently half the world got duped into watching as well. You know, every Wednesday night, now, I've shared this with some of y'all before. Every Wednesday night, as, as we got done ministering to students, Steph and I would hang out together and we would watch season one of Lost. <laughs> and if, if ever a show was aptly named, like, this is it. <laughs> for six years, we waited for them to get to the point. <laughs> And from the jump, like I, I, was, I was going with the purgatory theory, but alas, I, I wasted hours of my mid to late 20s thinking that the writers of Lost actually had a clue where they were going with the show. Like, just get to the point, please. For the love of all that's holy, get, get to the point. And it ended, and there was no point. <laughs> Church, that day, Paul strolled into a synagogue of people who had been talking around the truth for years and had never gotten to the point in the embodiment of truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What, what does that mean? It means this, and we've already said it. Listen, God, God is at work all around you. God is moving all around you. And there are so many things that are pointing you back to Jesus. It's pointing you back to Jesus. But are you paying attention? And think, think about our text. Think about our text this morning. 
You can spend your life questioning and lamenting your trials. You can spend your life making fallen men your heroes. You can spend your life wrestling with how do I wash away the the stain of all this guilt and shame and sin. But I'm telling you, the point is Jesus. The point is Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you've missed the point. And so the question, question is just this, what will you do with Jesus? Y'all pray with me this morning.